right. I think we're recording. We may be recording. And we don't have Cyrano here to object to the fact that we have David on the show. Mentioning dispatches, uh, episode whatever this is. Um, I, the the bug on here says episode nine, but I we're releasing out of order at this point. This might be ten. This might be eleven. We're we're gonna get to them as we get to them. This one uh, we're talking about solo war gaming. So of course we have a three person panel. Uh, and, and BB Mike is back. Welcome back, Mike. How you doing? It's good to be back. Been away too long. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're the dude that went and got COVID, so you know twice. Yeah, well. <laughs> You you thought you would have learned your lesson after the first time. Like, cut that shit out, man. Um, and then also joining. So first time here on Mentioned and Dispatches, but certainly no stranger to the Dragoons, having been with us at, at Origins and Buckeye Game Fest and all over the place. David Thompson is here. Welcome, Mr. David, sir. Yeah, it's awesome to be here. Finally, we've talked about it for a while, so it's it's awesome to finally be here. Yeah, so when we when we mentioned we're doing an entire podcast on solo wargaming and we had you coming on, Ozarski got really pissed. He's like, oh, seriously? You're going to get like the top guy in the field to come on and defend solo wargaming? <laughs> <laughs> he, was, uh, he was a little annoyed, but we conveniently rescheduled this one for a night that he's busy broadcasting a live stream of a game so so he doesn't have the option to come on here and object to whatever whatever <laughs> solo wargaming we end up talking about we've obviously talked a bunch about solo wargaming at the dragoons kind of across the board and and mike runs a youtube channel my own worst enemy about solo war like mike sits there and plays war games solo now mike not all of the games that you're playing in fact a good number of them are not designed to play solo right i mean you're you're just playing two-handed that is correct i i, I prefer actually games that are not strictly solitaire because i like to be able to play both sides it's you know it's different perspective i do enjoy solitaire only games though and i do have quite a few um so yeah that's true. We're not going to put you on the spot and make you list how many of David's you have. <laughs> David, <laughs> and so again, like you're pretty well known for a whole bunch of your solitaire stuff. The Valiant Defense series is is really sort of kind of the top line on the resume there for, you know, right now, that and Undaunted. But, but the Valiant Defense series is sort of what I think caught a lot of people's eyes for you initially. And, uh, and these things were all purpose designed to solitaire games. What was it when you sat down and started playing, you know, it, running over in your head hey i want to do some sort of game design what why a solitaire game design as opposed to a a head-to-head sort of thing it's an interesting question i think for me it's it's usually the position that you want to put the player or players in right so if it's a if it makes sense for the engagement to be a head-to-head sort of two-player thing then it's going to lead to you know a two-player multiplayer game but sometimes you know how interesting is it to play the germans in Landsworth ridge right like you're if you and, and well actually we can pull pull that onion back a little bit so if let's say that you're you're modeling Landsworth ridge because that's the the most recent game in the series right so it's the one i've been thinking about the most in, in the last year or so if you look at the history of it you've got a an u.s intel and reconnaissance platoon so 20 guys holding back you know whatever 500 if if you allowed the german player to have the resources available to them that the germans had at the time and not have complete tactical ineptitude that's not really a game right they're just going to waltz all over the americans so then you have to do something like well let's let's take it out of the actual historical framework or let's restrict the the german player in some arbitrary way so i I think in that type of situation uh it just makes sense to let's make this a solitaire game let's put the player in the position of the side that's the more interesting the more challenging you know situation so i think it's just it's just the situation you know the other the other one example 
example that kind of comes to mind is uh, like by stealth and C, right? You're you want to to put the, the the player in a very specific position, and you're not as worried about modeling both sides. You want to to really evoke one specific side and focus on that as the almost the protagonist of the story, right? If you will. Yeah. For for folks that don't know, so there's the Valiant Defense series, and we'll we'll talk about a bunch of them here in a second. But by stealth and C is a different solo one that's not part of the Valiant Defense series because because you're actually on the attack. Um, but that's yeah. that's your Italian frogman trying to blow up British ships in the harbor. I think it was uh, Mike. Do you remember? Was it was it Eckenfels that wrote about that one over at our site? I know we did some coverage on it. I don't remember. Yeah, I, I think it was. I think uh, Mike has. Yeah, I think Mike wrote about it. Yeah, I think it, I think it was Michael Eckenfels that that did some writing about it. I bar- I barely remember Michael Eckenfels. Oh, <laughs> he's, he's disappeared on us. <laughs> he's, he's, the the challenge we have with getting our our good buddy Banzai Cat back on the podcast is he's out on the left coast now. By the time we're recording, he's he's barely getting home through the Phoenix commute to to get back to the the house and actually get online. And then his computer crapped out on him for a couple of weeks. So so we've uh, yeah. we, we are woefully underrepresented on the in, in Banzai Cats here on the podcast lately. Um, <laughs> but it's his own damn fault. He's the guy that moved. Out halfway across the country to the uh, to the mouth of hell out there in phoenix <laughs> if we can get him and bob on the same podcast the world will end yeah yeah we <laughs> somebody's staying up really late and somebody's getting up really early is, is how we'd have to do that to to connect phoenix and london at the same time <laughs> dave that that brings back you know i hear what you're saying in terms of what makes sense for the historical situation you're trying to portray. Uh, but what you've done is you found a whole bunch of historical situations that are essentially valiant defenses, hence the mm-hmm. series title, right? You know, the, the, the Polish post office situation, Lanzareth Ridge, the Castle Itter, like these, these are all sort of situations of, of the valiant. It's the Alamo, right? Writ right. large in yep. whatever other venue you've got. Um, is, is it something about those types of battles that happened to appeal to you? Or once you got that solo mechanic down, did you go hunting for other battles where it might apply? I, you know, I guess a little bit of both, right? So um, I've certainly put out calls to people and said, hey, you know, do you have any ideas you think might be good for it? But in addition to just the the sort of defensive nature of that, that type, those types of situations, I also really enjoy, and you can see this in almost every game I make, the the extreme sort of skirmish level, right? Individual mm-hmm. person level. Um, so I think those two two things oftentimes tie together, right? You, when you think of these these small skirmish level, you know, siege defense kind of situations, um, I think there's a lot of overlap in those two things. So I really, I really do enjoy that scale, especially, and when I can combine it with the the sort of you know last stand type of situation, I think that really makes for a good story, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of the the more personal narrative there. Right, exactly. Because, you know, the the Valiant Defense mechanics, quite frankly, they might work for, like, the Japanese attack on Singapore. But at that point, you're moving battalions and regiments around the map, not, you know, Lieutenant Mike. And, uh, you know, trying to put put literally a face on the counter. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, um, Vince Cooper, I don't know if you guys know Vince. He's he's really active in the like in the solitaire Facebook groups and stuff. And he's done some some work with DVG doing development. He's actually going to do the fifth volume in the series. And it'll be the first time that it's not that skirmish level, you know, one person equals one counter. So he's going to zoom out. It's not something that um, I personally was interested in exploring, but he was. And I mean, he's done a good job. And like you said, the system can support it. So it'll be interesting to see how how people receive that. Are you 
allowed to spill the beans on what he's working on? You know, I keep forgetting. I keep forgetting if he's if he's made it public, and I don't want to do it. I don't want to spill it if he's so. Yeah, yeah. look, Mike's already broke enough news for this week uh, through the (laughs) Dragoon. So, so let's uh let's not spill it if we don't have to. Yeah, yeah. Um, For those curious, what we're referring to uh, a week or so ago in Tuesday Newsday, uh, Mike had had sent me the info ahead of time. Mike's current playthrough on my own worst enemy is the old uh, CSA Confederate States of America civil war game designed by, uh, by Madison and Ernie. And uh, it was Ben Madison and Ernie working on that one, right? Yes. Yes. It was both of those. And, and, and Ben actually got in touch with Mike and said, uh, by the way, this thing's getting republished. We can, we can go ahead and announce that the compass games is republishing this thing. They're going to snazz it up a little bit, change the title. And, uh, and they're going to, they're going to republish it. So Mike's playing an artifact at this point. (laughs) Um, yeah, I've, well, I've made the joke several times, and it's really not a joke anymore because it's 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 happening more frequently. When I pull out an old game like this that I I searched for that game and paid way too much for it, as soon as I find it and paid way too much for it, somebody reprints it or somebody comes out with another edition of it. So if there's a game that you really want to play that you can't find, let me know what it is and I'll buy it and then we'll have somebody publish it. Yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> send, send all requests to... So, so you know, we've already broken that news this week. So, so David, you know, don't don't give away what's coming if... If it hasn't been made public, let's uh, let, let's not let's not get anybody in any kind of trouble here with that. Um, it, so if he's working with those valiant defense mechanics, though, for something new, mm-hmm. was this something that that he kind of had to get your permission to do, or is this one of those things that you just kind of like? Ah, I don't care. It's just a game system. Go have fun. Yeah. No, it's a good question. I mean, okay. So in the most technical sense nobody has to ask anybody when it comes to game design right you yeah can, there's nothing to stop anybody from doing anything vince is a super cool guy so he came to me and, and dan at dvg and said hey i want to do this like i said he had done some work for them before um i i mean it's you know i i wanted to see what he was doing with it right i said yeah. hey you know let me take a look at it and um once i saw he had done a really good job with it and Niels johansson's going to do this so the guy who worked on on Landsworth bridge um it's going to do the art so we worked together and in and, and based on the the work that i seen Vince do um I'm comfortable with him with him doing this and and, you know future future games in the system so I definitely wouldn't say oh anybody that wants to do anything just do it and I won't ever take a look at it I'd always be interested in making sure that you know it's a quality game and it kind of keeps the the series um you know in in line with the rest of the series that kind of stuff but yeah heart and feel to the to the series that you want to try exactly. to retain, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, cause you know, the, the first coin game, you know, Andy and Abyss was Volko. And then the next couple that came out were sort of Volko and, right. and then eventually you started to get just coin games that weren't right. Volko. And, yeah. and, and then, you know, Nevsky came out and you got the first Levian campaign that was Volko. And then you started to get some Volko and, yep. and now you've just got dudes making Levian campaign series games. And so, yeah. yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I think I can safely say this. I don't think Volko minds me saying this. I, I, I think at this point, Volko's kind of coined out right and so i i don't know how how involved he is anymore with that um and you know I guess there's a certain point where I could be valiant defensed out, but uh, I'm not close to there yet. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think at a certain point, everybody burns out of something right. you know, and, and needs yeah. to recharge, but yeah. it's, it, you know, look, it's seven years now of valiant defense games, uh-huh. six years, seven years. I think two, I think Pavlov came out in 2018. It was released in 2018. So, but I mean, you were it was, two, it it was for- 2018 because we were at origins. I remember you had it there. Right. Yeah. Well, that, that yeah. was the final that was the final. That was the final. Working on that for at least two years before that. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I've been working on it since 2016. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so six yep. years worth of six and a half years worth of yep. valiant defense at this point. And it's, uh, it's still cool. So that's good. You know, yeah. are, are you allowed to spill the beans at what you're working on next? Um, <laughs> I, I'm actually not actively working on another game in the system yet. Uh, most of that has to do with, with, because the, the, my schedule so full right now, but I have things that I've, publicly said i would be interested in so like i i would like to do a siege of jodaville game okay i think that would be awesome there's a oh i'm forgetting the name of it there's a um a, oh, i can't remember a finnish island that was attacked that would make for a really good um scenario so th- there's a few things that i have in you know in that are sort of in the back of my mind that i'd like to explore but i'm not actually actively working on anything right now in this series yeah yeah i, I imagine there's a couple of current conflicts that you could probably mine for yeah you know, oh probably man. a snake island game waiting to be made yeah but, yeah uh, i i uh yes it, it could be i'm i'm staying away from that with a four thousand foot pole There's also I I did hear somebody mention the idea of a uh, the the battle that was in the documentary Restrepo out in uh, Afghanistan where mm-hmm. you had an American outpost that kind of held off a significant series of Afghan attacks over you know the the Taliban attacks over the span of I don't know, it was a couple of weeks there there's a documentary that ties into all of this so you know there's there's the Restrepo movie as well I, I've heard some people talk about that I'd never heard you talk about it so you know, it's, I, it's, yeah yeah I, I um I've mentioned this publicly a couple of times i'm not super comfortable with any sort of modern like living yeah you know combatants in a scenario um some of that has to do with like as you can relate like it, it hits a little bit close to home right yep. having having been over there and done that and then um i i would feel obligated to reach out to the people that were there or their families and stuff and that's man that's a that's a tall yeah. order oh, yeah. right and so um i've just kind of decided to to steer clear of, of modern day the only thing that i've ever toyed with that sort of modern day is um a game i designed called europe divided co-design and yep. that is super you know strategic level stuff right so it's not personal at all so i felt comfortable doing that yeah you know it's it it's interesting to hear you describe that approach because we just had Tim Densham from Catastrophe Games mm-hmm. on the the previous episode of the podcast and and Tim's got, you know, four or five games that are are published now. And, and most of them are designed by other people, but Tim even said, you know, the, the reason he started the company was to get his own game published where he had designed Zermot, which yep. is you know, it, it's low level counterinsurgency ops in Afghanistan, low level, tactical, low level, not high strategic, like managing the whole country. This is working around in one specific district. And and Tim, you know, he, he specifically said on the podcast, one of the reasons he wanted to do this is that all of the counterinsurgency games that, that dealt with Afghanistan that he saw were not really reflective of his experience because they were up at that 10,000 foot view. And he really wanted to to do something that reflected the the lived experience he had over there yeah. and and so it, it's interesting like your viewpoint is i don't want to touch that stuff because i want to make sure that i'm sensitive to the people who were participants in it and tim who was a participant in it was like no i specifically want to do this because i was a participant yeah. in it it's yeah. i mean obviously game design is going to come from from a thousand different approaches and there's no wrong one it's just interesting the the sort of split between between your guys viewpoints there so yeah yeah absolutely and yeah 
and and, the, and the, there is a there is an element of course um that you know when i was when i was deployed overseas right i, I was doing intel stuff and so like it, it, i could certainly stay in the unclassified realm and work on a game or whatever um but even now it's like okay how the easiest way to to distance yourself from anything that might cross over the line is just to not touch it right yeah yeah so, exactly no and and again you know knowing what you do for a day job totally respect that yeah. that split that separation and and trying to maintain the distance there and uh it, it makes perfect sense for for those circumstances mike your your solo gaming experience in terms of the purpose designed solo games because you you do both you know regular games as a solo player and sort of play both sides and then you also have done some purpose designed solo games give us some compare and contrast there what is it that 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 you like versus dislike about two-handing a game versus something that's designed for just you doing it by yourself i think when you're playing when i'm playing a game that's designed for that's not strictly solo that's designed for two or more people and i've you know i've played games that aren't just two player but there are four six players even and I, I think what you get when you do that is there's there's just more you can do you're not as restricted in the actions that you can take so there's there's just there's more to do and I also have a pretty strong role-playing game background so a lot, there's a lot of times I like to kind of role play out some of the way this stuff works so if I'm playing something like uh, what's a good example maybe something like blitz which is you know World War II and you, it's strategic level and you've got all the powers you can, I can kind of role play, you know, here's what the United States wants to do. Here's what Russia wants to do. Here's what Germany wants to do and just kind of work through it. And it's, it's, it's entertaining, right? It's a game and it's, it's just, it tells a story where if I'm playing a strictly solitaire game, it's a, a lot more, I won't say railroad. I hate that term. I, I know what it means and it makes sense in a lot of cases, but you just don't have the freedom that you have when you're playing a just a regular two player or you know multiple player game. Yeah, to to take this one step further, Mike's the kind of weird dude that'll play a hot seat six player Civ game and play all six players. <laughs> That's true. It, it, it Master of Orion or any of those games and just kind of role play out and, and, <laughs> and have a good time. You bring up an interesting criticism, frequent criticism of the solo games. And, and we talked about this some on the uh, the Compass Catalog episode with, with some of the more procedural solo games that at a certain point there there are some solo games where you don't you don't feel like you have a lot of agency, like you're you're just the dice chucker for the AI. And that, that it's very deterministic and great. There's a bit of a choose your own adventure aspect to it where you get to read some cool paragraphs of text. But essentially, there's not a lot of decision making you get to do. So, David, as you're you're poking around with some of your design stuff, how how do you maintain player agency in what it is you're putting in front of your your customers there? Yeah, oh, so that's that's a good question. I mean, um, well, for, first of all, I should I should reveal that I'm not I'm a big solitaire gamer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because designed... you've got a family that'll sit at a place. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I, it's funny. I design solitaire games. I don't do a lot of solo playing. What I do do actually uh, quite a bit of is um, I will solo, I will play solo games, solitaire games with my kids co-op, yeah. right? So there's some fantastic, in the non-wargaming space, there's some fast, fantastic games out of the last couple of years, Warp's Edge and Under Falling Skies and stuff. Those are great solitaire experiences and we just co-op them, mm. which is a whole nother experience that I, I think is awesome. Um, so I think that 
to, to answer your question, one of the techniques I use is to basically, and this is very, very common, right, in games, is to just give the player more than they can possibly do in a single turn with interesting decisions, right? I need to accomplish all these things. Um, I can't possibly do them all. They're all good things. They're all legitimate uh, options. What am I going to choose to do, right? Limited resources, overwhelming kind of decision-making, that sort of stuff. So a complex sort of decision-making ma matrix, uh, which runs counter to the kind of games that you're you're talking about, right? that are kind of, you know, they, they, they are like this sort of choose your own adventure. You're not really making a whole bunch of choices, right? They're meaningful choices, right? They're just yeah. kind of walking through the game and building a narrative. And that's that's awesome. Um, that's not my kind of thing that I'd like to play. And, and to that point, like I've got to play test whatever game I'm working on countless times. So I better enjoy playing it, you know? <laughs> um, so it's better be something I, I want to play. The other thing that I, I thought you were going to kind of get at too with the procedural nature of some games, and this is not necessarily the, the sort of narrative games where you don't have a lot of agency necessarily, but just solitaire games that have a like a very um, procedural step-by-step and oftentimes like lengthy cumbersome ai i'm not a big fan of that either like i want yeah. it to move fast right like whatever it's doing i want to i want my turn to be where i'm spending my time and the ai turn just resolved super fast yeah yeah exactly i you know i think you hit on it if i a, a good to me and this is all i guess my perspective a good solitaire game is going to be just as you described you want the player to to have to think about what he's going to do in his turn because he can't do everything and then when he does it Something surprises him anyway, you know, when the AI or the, the opponent takes his turn. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mike, yep. you've got a bit of the God echo going on there. I don't, not sure what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> you've got the, uh, the the clouds parting and the divine speaking going on there. The, the... Well, now I'm hearing it on your end. I don't, I'm not so sure. It's... <laughs> I don't hear it from either of you. Oh, Interesting. I'm... It sounds like there's another microphone. I only have one, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely hearing yours, Mike. That's crazy. I don't hear it from, I don't hear it from Mike. I don't hear it from either of you. Yeah. I don't That's know. Weird. This will either make an amusing interlude for the audience <laughs> or will become an edit point that I will snip out. You'll just have to listen here in about 10 days and find out which course. <laughs> Hopefully it'll stop. Whatever it is. Which of the two solo options I choose. As the armchair dragoons march into the ninth season of their podcast, Mentioned in Dispatches, we need to make time to thank our Patreon supporters who pledged at the regimental patron level. So a heartfelt thanks to Patrick Garrity, Mike Quigley, Joseph Knoll, Hethwill Wargames, Robert, Kevin Bertram, Chet Bell, Treb Curry, Staggerwing, and Patrick Mullen for their support of the Armchair Dragoons and helping us to bring you the best strategy gaming content on the web. You too can sign up as a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash armchair dragoons. David, being the, uh, the 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 competent game designer you are, obviously you're gonna you know sort of explore some of the other models that are out there for for some different kinds of games, and you know you mentioned some of those more procedural ones that are out there, and 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 some of those ones that kind of limit some options. Seen those, had some fun with those. The the states of siege games that give you sort of multiple paths that 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 you're being attacked on, right? That's you're under siege. That's the point of the series. But the um, sort of that that overwhelming you, and how do you best deploy your resources to defend uh there's also you know you publish a bunch of your stuff through dan verson and dan's got the solo uh air games 
that, that he's been doing forever, as well as the the you know Sherman leader, you know, Tiger, you know Panther leader, whatever whatever the different tank ones are, but but it's the the air games that he's more famous for. Um, of those different kinds of models, what have you seen that's that that you like about some of those models? What are some of the things you wanted to sort of consciously stay away from? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, so one thing one thing I should say too, when I say I don't play solo games or I only play with my kids. Um, I actually don't dislike them. What winds up happening is uh, I have a hard time concentrating on anything really um, other than work, right? And so what, what happens is I'll buy a solo game. I'll sit it down. If it's, if it's just me, I'll sit it down in front of myself. And if it's a war game, I'll lay it out and I'll kind of look at everything and I maybe like push some shits around or whatever and look at the order of battle and the geography. And I'll say, hmm, that was interesting. And I'll put it away. Um, or if it's a solo game, I might start to play it, and halfway through, I'm like, okay, I kind of get the systems, um, but I don't, I don't feel like the sense of obligation to carry on through the game. But I got, I've kind of explored it, which is that's why I bring my kids in because once the kids are there and we're playing a game, like there's this social contract that, like, hey, we're going to play this game now. We'll actually see it to the end. So yeah. I actually enjoy the games. It's just that for whatever reason, it's like I, I can't sit and watch a movie unless I'm in a movie theater because I'm yeah. thinking about, oh, I need to go do this thing or whatever. So I just wanted to kind of mention that. It's like my, my solo gaming is, is a, it's a me problem, not a game problem. <laughs> so actually, David mentions a very good point, though. So the and one reason to play a solitaire game, and, and again, we should have led with this, that when we say we're going to talk about solo war gaming, it's like saying we're going to talk about sports, right? That can mean anything. <laughs> but you know, the social contract is one reason to play solitaire. So, you know, it, it's, there's no commitment. So if I get into a game hour, 30 minutes, and you know, we got four more hours to go with a group, I can walk away from myself and nobody gets mad. Right. Yeah. So that's, it's interesting exactly you say that. Right. Yeah. 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 Yep. hundred percent agree with that. You know, you're, you're there for your own satisfaction and your satisfaction isn't completing a game. It's whatever it is you want to do, right? You want to explore the game. You want to look at the order of battle. You want to, you want to play the game to completion. You want to cheat, quote unquote, cheat, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, you can do whatever you want, right? And, and it's, there is something to be said for that. Um, it, you don't have to, if you want to house rule some stuff, nobody else has there to, to tell you otherwise. So there's a, it'll, it affords you a lot of opportunity to do things however you want to do it, which is that. It, it does. And awesome. I, like you said, I, I'm not strictly a solitaire gamer. I, I play with other people too. And it's, uh, it's, it's when you, when, like I said initially, earlier, you know, what is solo war gaming? What does that mean to you? For some people that means, yeah, I'm strictly going to play solitaire and there's other people i think that mean something totally different it's just you know I, i'm gonna play sol solo when i can or when i have the time or don't have the time and it's th there's just so much ground that we can cover here i guess yeah i want to get brant to, to take us down a path <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we'll, we'll come back around you know plenty of episodes in the future to do this you, you bring up an interesting point though mike and this is something that we we danced around a little bit on the compass catalog episode of the show that uh, we obviously, you know, two and a half hours, we didn't have time to really dig into anything other than the games in the catalog themselves. There are there are a variety of ways to play solo. And 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 Mike, you mentioned this earlier. There's there's games that are purpose built for sol for solitaire play. There are games that are are purpose built for multiple players, you know, two or more, and you just play them all, right? You, you have a mild case of schizophrenia and who cares, right? You're having fun, no big deal. There are some games that are designed for multiple players, but have some form of bot in order to adapt them to solo play. 
And, and that's a different way in which you can try and play solo. But I think one of the things that we've seen over the over the past five to six years, and, and I don't want to blame the pandemic for this because this was starting before the pandemic, but it's 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 almost expected these days that a war game includes some sort of solo or solitaire it, adaptation to it so yeah. that you can play. It's not just a war game, you know, so I just did an interview um with um, a professor at North Carolina, Chapel Hill, who uh, he's a board gamer too, but he wanted to talk about a game I had just, this come out recently called Resist, right? So it's a war themed game. You can, de- we can debate about it, whether it's a war game, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't Man- matter. Mandatory <laughs> and hisses for mentioning Chapel Hill, right? I mean, <laughs> you've got an NC State alum as the podcast host here. You're not allowed to say nice things about you. But, um, but, but Resist is a, exclusively solitaire game right yeah. um but anyway he we were talking about solitaire games in general and uh and i and i mentioned this on the on the in that chat is in the last five whatever seven years we've gone from sometimes some games have a solitaire system with and sometimes there's a solo bot and, and you know a, 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 yeah. an official one or unofficial one blah 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 to it's not just war games. Like mm. if you don't, if you put a game on Kickstarter and doesn't have a solo system, the loot community. Okay, well here's here's a real world example that happened to me. So Undaunted has Undaunted Normandy, Undaunted North Africa have no solo system. Yep. They come out with reinforcements. It's an expansion. It introduces team play. It introduces a whole bunch of new scenarios. Blah blah blah. But it inc- includes solo play. Solo play was the big selling point, right? At least that's the vocal selling point. That's what people talk about. Yeah. Okay. Um. And and I want to come back to at some point me not designing solo systems for games that I designed that are originally multiplayer. I want to talk about that, but but um, put a little pin in that. But when we came out with Undaunted Stalingrad, when we announced Undaunted Stalingrad, and we said, hey, this is a legacy-style campaign game, it's extremely... I mean, we spent orders of magnitude, more mental blood, sweat, and tears, or whatever, on that game than all the other Undaunted's combined times 10 because of the complexity and the way everything works together, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Well, it's um, bigger than all of them. Too. It's just huge. It's a huge in every way, physically, in terms of like the everything you know builds on itself, et cetera, et cetera. And because of that complexity, it just didn't lend its lend itself well to the solo system that was developed for the other other ones. You would have thought that we had killed people's children, like. The world completely melted down. And how did we do this? And, you know, it's just insane. And and I was like, Undaunted wasn't even designed to be a solo game. Like, we developed, (laughs) yes, not we. David Turksey and and David Digby designed a solo system for it. Um, But this, I I will say that the, the solitaire community has gotten a little bit overboard with the almost entitlement of everything has to have a solo system yeah yeah it it and and you're right that this is certainly something that exists outside of wargaming that it's board gaming in general not just wargaming that that's looking for those things that said we're a wargaming show right so yeah screw those other guys (laughs) (laughs) but 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 you're right that that the the idea of solo or not um, becomes challenging, and and there are some games out there. There's some games out there that I really enjoy. Some of my favorite non war games. There's no way in hell to make a solo version of Seven Wonders. It's just not going to happen. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, the whole tension of it is, what are those other people doing with the cards I haven't seen yet? Yeah. There's no way to solo that thing. No, yeah, okay, wait. Let, let, let me write this down. I'm retiring here pretty soon. So, no way to solo seven wonders. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, right. you not can multi hand seven wonders. You, you can absolutely multi hand seven wonders. 
<laughs> yeah. Right. But but to create some sort of bot or solo adaptation to it is is an exercise in foolishness. Part of the whole point of what you're doing with Seven Wonders is depending on how well you're paying attention to what the other players are doing, uh, you absolutely have the ability to really screw with their plans in the decisions you make. That's that that's hard to replicate in a bot. Right. Um, yeah. You know, it, you know what? Here, so here's a good example of that, right? So a game I, I, I worked on Sniper Elite, mm-hmm. it's a hidden movement game. Yeah. Right. It has a solo system. Again, I didn't work on it. I didn't design it. Um, it has a solo system. Well, how do you design a solo system for a hidden movement game? Well, it's the different game. It, yeah. it literally is a different game, right? Yeah. Uh, it functions. It's a separate game, but it doesn't model the same exact feeling you get from a hidden movement game where the game is the person you're playing against, right? It's not yeah. that you're playing against the game. You're playing against a person, yeah. right? And, and to an extent, <clears throat> it is kind of cool if you can get that solo system that is, as you're saying, essentially a separate game. You Using the same components in the same box, it's two for one. That's not a bad sure. value. That's kind of sure. cool if you can do it. Which you're right. It's well, game. that well, that's the problem as well, though, right? Because I it, it, and then this is happening too with a lot of these games. They go, oh, this comes with a solo module, but you'll buy the game and you'll get it, and you'll discover what it really means is there's one scenario that you can play solitaire, and the other eighteen are multiplayer, right? And it's like, well, this is no good. I want to play the whole game <laughs> solitaire, and I can't do it. Or the bot, they'll put a bot in there that just it, it's it is isn't the same game it's there's different rules there's different things going on and it, which you know leads me back to why i'd rather just play both sides best i can right than to use the bot it's interesting that in in some of the solitaire discussions that i've seen and and not amongst most of the war gamers uh but but amongst larger the the larger board gaming community there's a lot of folks that sort of assume the whole solitaire movement kind of exploded thanks to the pandemic and and i just question whether or not those people paid any attention to like 2017 because this has been going on for a while yeah and and the pandemic might have dragged it to the forefront a little bit. Uh, yeah, I think honestly that what the pandemic did for board gaming was it didn't normalize solos, you know, solo or solitaire gaming. It normalized the online shared gaming of Tabletopia and Tabletop Simulator and all those things. That, that that's really what the pandemic jump started was not solo gaming because that that crap was already happening to anybody that was paying attention. That was already happening. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and the the online play is really what the, the pandemic jump started was folks that there's only so much solo playing you can do when you're locked inside your house with yourself 24-7. You, you want somebody else to talk to besides, you know, your cat and the walls. And so so let's get on Tabletop Simulator and game with somebody else. That's- well, and I think what, you know, what's happened, I mean, like you said, the solo gamers have... They've been there. They've always been there, but there's been kind of a stigma around it, you know, because again, when you say I'm a solitaire gamer, that can mean so many different things. But I think to most people, and I think Jim is one of these, I wish Jim were on the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) The division in the head is, okay, this, he's a solo gamer. That means he sits inside, doesn't want to play with anybody else. And he'll only play by himself and he can't find gamers. That's the other one you'll hear him say. There's plenty of people out there that want to play games. Okay. There are, I want to play this one by myself. So yeah. But I think what's ha- I think what's happened is as these companies have have been a little more uh, they they put these bots in so it, I don't know who started it I want to say I first I think became aware of this with Lock and Load Tactical that when they included a solo module and I can't remember what year it was but I think as solo gamers started seeing this 
and realize, well, wait a minute, if you can release these bot rules with the game, why not include those? And I think companies started doing it. And I think that's what David's talking about, where people saw this happening. And there is almost like an entitlement thing there. Well, you know, you're going to put this game out. Well, by God, I want a, a bot to go with it so I can play it solitaire. Yeah, the, the coin system, well, Labyrinth had a bot that got added after the game was originally released. And then the coin system bots were very quick to follow the initial release um, of Andy and Abyss. So, so the coin system bots have been around for 10 years at least. The, the other thing that happened with the coin system bots, though, is you in some cases you still need the bots even if you have a multiplayer game because it's a four it's a four faction game if you've got three people around the table you still need a bot you know it's it's not just a solo mechanism for for those particular games well so, it's funny you mentioned seven wonders and i believe that's one that's three or more right it's not a two-player game it, yeah, yeah so seven wonders duel right which is a two-player right version. so okay yeah. so my wife and i love seven wonders yeah. and there's only two of us yeah so, so here's what, the deal. What we, the what original we seven wonders had a two-player variant in it that was absolute crap yeah. See, there you go crap. a variant it it, it <laughs> was but 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 they they even explicitly said this is not designed for two player game for two players but this is the best you're going to get if that's all you have and it's it's a lousy experience it is absolute crap um seven wonders you need at least 3 and quite frankly it's it's best with 5 or 6 but what happened was the experience of seven wonders as a two player game was so bad that they went back and created the seven wonders dual series which is is an excellent two-player variant two-player version it's not a variant it's a two-player version of the seven wonders series and really does a great job of retaining the feel of the seven wonders games in just a two-player package so if that's something you and your wife need to go dig into go no, find because here's what you do see this is i'm, I'm gonna I have to write my own book seven wonders and i think we did this with 18x too i think that's another one where they say you really three or more players to play 18x because you got the stock market and everything but the, what we did was when we played Seven Wonders was we set up the third player. And when it was that third player's turn, we would come up with what we thought that player's best move would be. And either we would agree, in which case it was great, the player would take that move, or she would think, I think the player would do this. And I would say, I think the player's going to do this. Go to the dice, you know, yeah. roll the dice. What's he going to do? And it's, you still That's retain. not too far off what the, the, the two-player adaptation was for, uh, for seven wonders was there was the the free city where each player would take turns playing a card on the free city to, to add stuff over there um but again still not even remotely close to the appropriate seven wonders experience so. see i don't know about that I, I and i hear that too with solitaire gamers is they want to tell me that if i play um what, what's it let's pick an example here i don't know uh let me look over at my bookshelf here well i'm playing now the Civil War game. So if I'm playing this Civil War game, somebody will tell me, well, that you're not getting the proper experience because you're playing it solitaire. I, and that's just ridiculous. Is that I, I a mean, solitaire design game? or is No, that... it's, it's a two-player game. It is a two-player game. Okay. There are certain games where you're going to have more hidden information. You're going to have cards. And there's things that will make it tougher to play the game. The experience is going to be a little different, maybe in, you know, surprise maneuvers or something that a human opponent could 
could do. But the experience, the game experience is not going to be that different. It's 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 just not. You're using the same rules. You're playing the same game. It, it's You're not that far removed from me playing CSA solo versus two, me watching two people play it solo or me playing it with somebody else. It's yeah. going to be a different experience, but it's not going to be dramatically different. Yeah, I think it comes down to what, what the player wants to get out of the game, right? So if you're playing a, a CDG or something and you're you're go if you're if you're what you're really interested in is i want to see how the cards are driving the action of the game um then it, it probably doesn't matter right you're like you're hey i'm, I'm going through I'm, I'm taking the actions i'm doing doing the things on the board or whatever um if you're if you're approaching it from like how can i outwit my opponent or something like that right then of course you're you know, you're sacrificing more. So I, I think it definitely comes from the perspective of the player. But I agree with you, Mike. I mean, my I, I personally, like I would probably rather play a game like Undaunted two-player, uh, two-handed. I would rather, probably rather play it two-handed than than um a solo and this goes back to why i don't design solo systems for games that i design multiplayer right so like i said I, like i said earlier i did not design the solo system for undaunted i didn't design it for sniper elite if i if i'm going to design a solo game it's going to be solo and if i'm going to design a multiplayer game it's going to be multiplayer and i'll tell the publisher hey if you want a solo system that's cool but i'm not gonna i'm not your man because you know i designed the game that i was wanting to design and yep. and i would rather play it two-handed personally than than i would solo yeah and, and, you know, there are people that you just, as you just said, that there are people that want to play to beat somebody. They want to win against a human opponent. And, you know, you're not going to get that from Solitaire. Right. But as far as the game experience, I, I think you're still, it's kind of like when somebody says, um, when to do a, a game review, you should have had to play the game 50, 100 times, which is something else I disagree with. But, you know, I can read a rule book for a game and get a pretty good take on what the game's going to be like and whether or not I'm going to like it. Um I mean, I don't do reviews, but, and if I did, I'd, I'd want to make sure I did play the game a couple of times, but it's, it's, it's the same thing with solitaire. You know, it's like, it, it, there's some people that will never play solitaire for that reason. Yeah. Different strokes for different folks. We're, we're not here to tell somebody they're playing something right or wrong. Um, we're, we're offering our viewpoint on all of this, obviously. But if if you get enjoyment out of playing, you know, a, a multi-headed game by playing each of the different players, great. Have fun. Knock yourself out. If, if it's more enjoyable to you to simply follow that single-threaded solo experience that's purpose-designed for that, uh, you know, great. Knock yourself out. If you enjoy the tension and complexity where David is overwhelming you with way too many decisions for the amount of resources you have, you know, great. That's that's the experience some people want because it it puts them in that mindset of, holy crap, like I've got way too much going on. If you're one of those folks that prefers a more procedural game that's more about sort of narrative escapism that that's you know, not too far removed from kind of a, a choose your own adventure book. Great. Like there's some folks that want to just turn off their brain and get a good story told to them and have a little bit of decision-making in there. That's fine too. You know, what, what is it you prefer to do and, and go with that? You know, that's, that's yeah. great. And you know, what's, what's funny about that is I, and I talk about this all the time. We live in this absolute golden age of war games where all of those things exist. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hell yeah. You know, I mean, for a long time, you know, growing up and we're, we're going to pick on David here a little bit, not just because he's the young guy on the show, but David, you didn't start playing war game stuff until much later in life compared to, to most of the rest of us that started right. in the seventies when we were, you know, still in elementary school or something. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for a long time, if you wanted to play a solo war game, you had like two to choose from. 
you know, it's sort of, yeah, I, I like solo war games and these are, you know, I've got both of them, you know, sort of, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was your universe of options. And, and I remember when the first computer RPGs were starting to come out and everybody's like, oh, this is great. I can play D and D by myself. And it's, first of all, you, you kind of always could, if you were willing to stretch beyond D and D and look at some of the other, um, the other solo built role-playing stuff tunnels and trolls had a ton of solo adventures to it the old the the british steve jackson fighting fantasy game books um that they they were a step above choose your own adventure not too far above but but they were still pretty good you had a lot more solo options in the role-playing world than you did in the computer world and and but the computer rpgs show up and you're like all right i can play DD by myself and the computer war games start to show up great i can play you know b52 by myself and you know go bomb rush or whatever um and i i think at the point at which the computers showed up people sort of quit trying to do solo tabletop games because i got a computer why do i need a tabletop game to play by myself and and it's really been in the last 15 years or so that you saw purpose built you know intentionally designed solo tabletop games start to make a comeback and and you know david you're you're right. The, the the universe of choice is great. You know, it's fantastic that we've got all those options. So the in terms of of actually playing some of the games, um, Mike, I think you've done a couple of the Don't Tread on Me was was designed as a solo game, right? Yeah, it's solitaire only. Yeah. So so well, <laughs> it's funny, you know, things designed as multiplayer only, you're going to turn into a solitaire game, but you're going to sit here and tell us solitaire only when somebody's <laughs> going to turn into a multiplayer. Well, well so it's funny. Guys, I, I play them. I play solitaire games with my kids all the time. <laughs> So funny, co-op. Yeah, right. Fun, right. Funny you mentioned that is uh, there was uh, when I first started playing. Don't tread on me. Uh, somebody on Board Game Geek was asking Ben Madison, you know, is there a way I can play as the British or you know, it's like oh, are the Americans? And you're like, well. <laughs> It's, it's funny you should mention that, right? Because it, going back to the Valiant Defense series, so there's a two-player variant in most of them. Yeah. Now, now the, the, the attacker side is not very interesting, honestly. It's a variant for a reason. It's really there if you're teaching your buddy or your, you know, your friend how to play the game. It gives you something to do kind of as you're teaching them. It's a little more interesting than just doing the teach. But I did not include that option for soldiers and postmen's uniforms because of the beyond horrible, despicable stuff that the attack were doing right and i just didn't want to i didn't want to give give a player agency in that um many people have complained about the fact that there's not a two-player variant in soldiers and postman's uniforms i'm like it's a solitaire game (laughs) come on (laughs) go there's go play the other forty-eight thousand games yeah no kidding it's uh yeah there's there's not a shortage of multiplayer games out there. right right. yeah (laughs) well i i bring it up because one of the so i uh I did a, a, a long series of articles, but I, I, I got the white tribe from uh, white dog games, which has been Madison's game on uh, Rhodesia. And, and you are the Rhodesians trying to stave off the, the communist terrorist forces that are trying to attack your country. And, and, Without getting into any of the the political underpinnings of the story, the the game is an interesting game in that it does David exactly what you were talking about, which is there's there's an overwhelming number of decisions you have to deal with, and and you can't possibly do everything in every place. So so how do you decide what to prioritize and what to do? And and I really appreciated that level of decision making. The other thing, David, that you mentioned is that that on the AI side, you want stuff to resolve quickly. Mm-hmm. So when when there's you know when it's time for the AI to roll through their attacks, you want that to happen fairly quickly. And and honestly, the the white tribe did that as well. The part where 
the white tribe sort of fell down for me was the procedural steps leading up to the AI actually, you know, starting to attack a lot of the political steps and and in the the broader situational changes. There was a lot to have to check every single turn, and in many cases, there was a lot you were checking that didn't really change much. Um, you know, you'd have to like roll a one d six, and on a six something happened, and then you'd have to go roll on another chart to find out what it was that happened. At a certain point, give me a d10 and <laughs> seven, eight, nine, ten. One of those things happens, and one through six, nothing happens, and and cut out an extra step for me. Um, th- there were there were multiple cases of that throughout that game where I thought that that m- several steps could have been combined into a single check here or there. Um, they were all informative. They were all things where you're learning about some of the history that did happen or could have happened as a part of what was going on. You know, Ben Madison does a great job of packing the historical notes into the game, uh, which, which was great. It just felt like there were a couple too many steps between um, all right, I got a couple decisions to to make all right now i got an ai shooting at me there was a lot in between where it felt like you were just looking up a lot of charts and, and tables and that started to get a little tedious after a while um that's the kind of solo thing i would prefer to avoid um and and that's not something that david has you doing a lot of right not, not a lot of charts and tables between all right i moved my stuff bad guys shoot at me Let's keep moving. Yeah. No, I think that's another complaint with solitaire games is just that you'll hear that there's a game that makes you go through a lot of motion, but you're not really deciding anything or you're not really doing anything. You're just you're just following charts to get to some end result that has minor impact on the game. And you don't want to see that in a solitaire game. At least I don't. Yeah. And, and to one extent, I get packing a lot of charts in there, trying to increase the replayability by giving you a wider variety of things that could happen. I can respect the intent behind it, but the mechanics become tedious. Yeah. So that that I find challenging. David, you're you're on here with a couple of dudes that have a fairly deep RPG background as well. Have you noodled around with any solo stuff in the RPG realm, given how personal and individualistic and narrative some of those those solo games you've designed have come out? Um, you mean from a design perspective or a play perspective? Well, more a play perspective, because I, I, I would yeah. suspect had you been designing them, we would have seen them by now. Well, let's talk about that first, right? So I don't forget. So I am actually working on something now with David with Dave Neal, who he's worked on things like Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, right? So some okay. very narrative heavy stuff. And I've teased this before. It's a very, it's as you would expect with me, it's that sort of, you know, personal level. So heavy narrative personal level but we're my my main role in it is um integration of like a tactical combat element of the game right so we're probably i don't know a year and a half maybe two years away from that game being out It's, it's signed it's with a publisher we're pretty far along it's um a little bit brain melting we're actually using software that's designed to do book writing tracking right or even even kind of like choose your own adventure type um, thread tracking right yep. to make the game function so so very deep in that um so that's that's like rpg adjacent right you'd say yeah, yeah. um as far as playing the only rpg playing i've really done in recent years is with my kids yeah. um we do the tr- we do the typical D stuff um i've tried to push them towards other systems that i think might be better actually for them right but they grew they know D through stranger things so yeah. they all they want to play D because that's what they play on stranger things so yeah. no matter what i do they want to play D. um 
but uh but i mean i grew up playing you know rpgs and stuff so i it's it, i'm always interested in exploring the, you know the the space and i think that it's interesting that the the solitaire rpg space has, has really blown up i haven't personally had a chance to explore it a lot um so i basically just consumed it through podcasts and videos and stuff like that i haven't played it myself but um but yeah, i think it's a really interesting sort of explosion part of our part of our harvey yeah. I think, like you said, as you, you know, you do a solitaire only game and you get down to the, the details. So you're with maybe just a unit of guys, you have maybe eight guys on patrol or something. That's where you can really get that RPG aspect into it a lot more, right? Because you've got just a handful of guys, and you can assign them some things that you wouldn't find normally in a war game. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. David, I want to know when we're going to see the uh, Kelly's Heroes Valiant Defense Series game come out. <laughs> well, you guys, do, do you guys know what's coming after Stalingrad? Have we talked For about Undaunted? That? Yeah. I, you know, Battle of Britain is next. I think I'd seen mention of that somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be, it'll be really interesting to see how it's received. I mean, it's it's still Undaunted, but it's the most different Undaunted, right? Um, so it's going to be, we'll see how, how the the community receives that. Is there, is there a solo variant in it? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not talking about it. <laughs> well, we, we have to have one. You can't put it out there without one. <laughs> uh, that's, yes, the, the world has spoken. The world has spoken. There will be no more games without Solo. <laughs> well, and, and again, in David's defense, I don't think he's ever said, don't put one in the box. I think what he said is, I don't want to design That's it. Right. That's right. <laughs> there you go. Osprey's absolutely welcome to have someone do a solo a solo system for it. Yeah. The, the the reason I was asking about some of the RPG stuff is that, you know, that, that idea of solo stuff being present, you're now seeing in... It, it, it it's an expected component of even mainstream RPG releases anymore. The the D and D Essentials box and the D and D Basic boxes that you can pull off the shelf and target um, include either solo or just two player options in there. So it's just you and a GM, but but even you and the GM, you can still solo much of that that game. The new RuneQuest starter box that just came out includes an adventure book in there with two or three starter adventures, but then another one that's got just a bunch of solo adventures in it. Um, so there's like three solo adventures out of the box in the new uh, the new RuneQuest starter box that came out. Same thing with the new Shadowrun box that just came out. There's there's you know off the shelf, grab the box, crack the shrink. There's a solo adventure in there to get you started quickly. And I think that's something that that has become expected at this point for mainstream RPG releases is that it's not just the the social game anymore. You've got to have a solo adventure in there of some sort just to help get people started or they're going to think that that you missed the boat, that that there's somehow you're shortchanging them in there somewhere, which is different than what we grew up with, which is go find four friends and come play this game. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting. I I'll I'll tell you um when when I started when I started playing D&D with my kids, I was specifically looking for that type of stuff because I didn't, you know, back when I grew up, back when I was, you know, at the height of playing D&D, right? So I was in my teens or 20s maybe, uh, early 20s. I was spending I was that that was that guy who was spending ridiculous amounts of time as a DM making tons of lore and all that stuff and I just don't have the time to do it. And so mm -hmm. um, I was looking for adventures like that, like solo designed adventures to run my kids through so I could run it right out of the box. Right. Yep. And I remember picking up, they, they made a special um, D and D starter set, stranger things themed. Yep. Right. Oh, and yeah, it was garbage. I don't know if you guys played <laughs> it. It was total garbage. And I remember thinking there's going to be kids 
who watch Stranger Things, they want to get into D and D. They go buy this box set, and it was horrible. I don't know how you you couldn't you. It was not a good way to learn D and D. Yeah, right. I've heard nothing good about that box. Yeah, ever. it was. I'm a dude who buys a lot of the starter boxes just because I'm always very interested in sort of how do people introduce right game yes. to a new person. So I, I have yeah. a giant collection of starter boxes here for all kinds of games, whether I'm going to play them or not, just because I'm interested in reading how those things come about. Yeah, I skipped that one because I'd heard such. Oh, bad it was horrible. The Essentials, the one that's called Essentials, which wasn't the first five evils, was the second one, starter yep. set, fantastic. Absolutely yep. fantastic. That's the one um, with the deck of cards that in the fold-up mm-hmm. box in there. Yep. Yep. Because that one yep. includes the two-player variant where, yep. where you have your henchmen kind of following you around a little bit. Yep. Um, th- there have been a variety of really good starter boxes over the years um, for, for all kinds of different games, not just D&D. Yeah. Uh, but I've some of them I've been really impressed with. I, I was going to pick up the Stranger Things one, not just being a completist, but also because, you know, I, I'm a fan of the show. I enjoy yeah. it. Uh, but, you know, th- like all of us of that generation, it's a love letter to our childhood. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the Duffer brothers will even tell you that's exactly what it was. But I, I heard so many bad things about that box that I just, I had to skip. I had yeah. to skip. Good call. Uh, <laughs> one thing that I have been, you know, we're, we're way off the war game track at this point into other solitary <laughs> and, stuff. And, we, and we're off the solo track too, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm bringing us back to the solo track. One thing that I did pick up. So there's is these dudes out of England. It's like Spider Mind Games, I think is what it is. They've got this, uh, this Legendary Kingdoms series of solo rpg books uh the first one was desert of desert of desolation something or other they're they're too far away for me to go grab them from my desk and still like continue recording here the second one was called crown and tower uh that's an urban adventure these things were really well done they they are at their core some choose your own adventure types of books but they're also big books they're they're pretty thick um you've got you've got some variety in the people the the characters you can choose to play cuz you put together a three or four person party and and it comes with seven or eight different characters so there's there's always room to choose who you're going to use depending on who you choose certain narrative paths open or close to you because there's going to be some paragraphs that you're reading in the book if so and so is present turn to this different place which is nice there's also things along the way that are going to change the condition of your group if you helped these guys out make a note that you now have b1 as a part of your party and so when you flip to something later if you have b1 go read this other different paragraph so the branching that these guys put in there is really there's a lot of density to these things and it does it feel like a choose your own adventure yeah it's core it kind of does but there's such a variety in there and the the decisions you make will ripple further into the story in a variety of places that it doesn't feel like you know back when we were we were kids on the bus reading choose your own adventure books holding our hands in like four yeah. different places yeah. so we can back up a couple of there's no way you could do that with these books they are way too dense to do that as solo game experiences go those are actually pretty enjoyable if you're if you're an rpg fan at all um and you go track those down it's the uh it's the legendary kingdom series i think it's spider mind games they they had two come through kickstarter i think the third just recently closed on kickstarter i don't think it's shipped yet but you might still get in on pre-order pricing um fun games fun fun game books 
Yeah, that sounds awesome. Dark City Games also has uh, smaller versions of that, I think, right? It's not really choose your own adventure. It's like the next level above that where you have um, characters you roll up and actually go through adventures. Yeah, so what Dark City Games, their shtick is... And so, man, I saw those dudes at Gen Con in 07. In 07 is when I saw them. I picked up, you know, Wolves of the Rhine and a couple other games from them way back then. Stuff that's still in print. Um, I have Edge of the World sitting here uh, sitting here now. Um, what they have had always done is they were essentially creating the spiritual successor to the fantasy trip. Mm-hmm. And when they started doing this 15 years ago, it was, you know, Steve Jackson's fantasy trip reboot was still 10 years in the future. So so they were filling a niche that Steve Jackson had sort of abandoned at that point. Now that the fantasy trip has come back and Steve is heavily supporting it through his company, the, the, the niche that Dark City needed to fill is less urgent. They still do a good job of kind of filling it, but those game books that you're describing, Mike, those those are essentially the fantasy trip mechanics adapted to a variety of different situations, whether it's historical uh, or, or, you know, Western shootouts or, you know, space stuff or whatever it might be. Um, They they do a good job of of writing some good story to them. They are not graphically fancy packages at all. No, Uh, but they're, they're still enjoyable books for what they are. David, you had said put a pin in that point and we'll come back to it. And I totally forgot what point it was we were supposed to be coming back to. No, it was just, I I mentioned it in passing. It was just the idea that I I, I don't like designing solo for my own multiplayer game. (laughs) I feel pretty strongly about that if it hasn't been, if it's not obvious. I uh, I think you've mentioned it once or twice. <laughs> so, uh, David, you you've mentioned gaming with your kids a bunch, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think that's that's a certain rite of passage that a lot of us with kids love to be able to partake in. Yeah. As you're designing some of the solo games, are are the kids in mind at all as a particular audience for it, or is it I'm designing it for this other crew, and if the kids happen to play it and enjoy it or help me out, then that's just a bonus. Yeah, I, I have never, I have never really designed for them in mind. I'm, I'm super, super lucky that they, at least right now, are pretty much willing to play anything, right? Literally anything. So even war games, they'll play with me. Um, we do a lot of co-oping of like by stealth and sea, for example. Um, yeah. that kind of stuff. So, uh, but I don't design for them. No, I, I, you know, they, it's just they're, they're so flexible that they'll just do anything. So. I'm lucky. I'm in that golden time right now, I think, where they're like, oh, we just want to spend time with dad. And we know that we can do that by playing his games. So we'll do that. Right. But I'm just eating it up. I'll take advantage of it as long as I can get it. Yeah. And then he'll become a solitaire gamer again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right now there's, there's people listening to this podcast, their car, they're pulling over and shouting at the speakers in anger with (laughs) And, and jealousy with, you know, how the hell does he get his kids to do that? So that is that that is very awesome that that they can do that, you know, and that, that they're willing to do that. So, um, all right, David, let us behind the curtain. What's what's coming up next? What's where, so, where going next? Yeah. Valiant Defense. You already mentioned Undaunted Battle of Britain. I'm sure the next thing's already on the drawing board. Yeah. What, what um, I mean, far, by far the biggest thing is 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 
Undaunted Stalingrad, right? That comes out uh, later this month, I guess, November, early December, maybe, is when it releases. That's I'll be really interested to see how that's received. Um, hopefully people dig it. It's the only, so many of my games, unless I'm playing with my kids or I'm demoing it at a convention or something, many of my games I'll never play after they're published, right? So like my copy of Undaunted North Africa isn't even punched, for example, right? <laughs> it's just the reality of the situation. Um, even I was excited about playing Undaunted Stalingrad because for that one, the, the whole idea is to experience the campaign, to see people, you know, die and they're removed and you never get access to them again or get promoted and see the terrain get modified for the for the entirety of the campaign. And so we took it to Gen Con to demo it, uh, a prototype, but the prototype was a very, very, very close to, to the final version. And so when we left, when Gen Con was over, I took that prototype with me and I'm playing with a guy here, local, a coworker who actually knows Undaunted, right? He's played a lot of it. And so we're actually playing a proper campaign of a game I made, which is unheard of for me, right? That's <laughs> just, I never, ever get to do that. So I've been enjoying that. So I'm, I'm hopeful that people um, people dig that. Um, you know, we talked about Resist briefly. It, it just came out and it's doing really well. It's been well received. Uh, and then I think the other stuff is all, none of it's really been announced. Um, a lot of, just a lot of things going on with, with my co-design partners, Trevor Benjamin, who I work on with Undaunted and, and Roger Tankersley, who I did. Um, uh, like Sniper Elite with. So we've got a lot of things in, in the work, but um, in the works. But I think that's it. There is there is one game, I'll just mention in passing, um, Dire Alliance Horror, which is unlike me because it's not a war game theme. Uh, it's like a minis skirmish game. Um, but the company that's that's putting out Blacklist, it's, they, have, they have been in that typical uh, fulfillment struggle that a lot of companies have found themselves in right now. So yeah. we'll see when it actually ships. But the, the frustrating thing about that game, if you guys will indulge me, is that I actually got a... The, the game has been printed. Like, it's sitting in China. It's been sitting in China, I think, like a year, right? Yeah. Like physically Probably done, not. just not on a boat. And so um, they shipped me a copy of the final version of the game uh, with the minis and everything. And so I've been playing that with my, my kids, but especially my 11-year-old daughter. And she loves it. It's her favorite game. Loves it. And so um, the ba- there's a base game, but it was a Kickstarter. So, of course, there's expansions and blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't have the expansion. And so she asks me all the time, Daddy, when are we going to get the expansion to Die Alive? <laughs> and so I just tell her, I'm like, I don't know. When everybody else gets it, you know, who when, knows? we can get it on a boat and get or, it over yeah, here. Yep. So that's that's the one that she, I don't know about the, everybody else, I don't know about me, but she's waiting on the expansion for Dire Alliance. So. <laughs> yeah. Hey, look, I, I promise if you break news as to something, you know, a, a special announcement of something you're working on, I'll give you a trumpet fanfare in the background when I edit this together. <laughs> nah, man, I, I don't want you getting in trouble with any of your publishers. So, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's, I, I think that's it. I mean, um, yeah, yeah, I think that's all I can talk about. I sometimes forget where I am with different things, but yeah, you know, I mean, there's, and then there's things that I've openly talked about that I'm working on that are not signed with publishers. So I can talk about them. Things like I'm working with Liz Davidson from beyond solitaire on a game about the night, witches, for example. Yep. Um, I've been, you know, sort of in the background, I'm working on the game about um, the fifth platoons in world war two, right? So the not well-known integrated platoons post battle of the bulge. Um, yep. So stuff like that. Right. But those are, those are very early on conceptual stuff. Yeah. As, uh, as you're playing other games and other, cause I, 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 
I've seen you play other people's games and designs. Yeah. Like at, at Origins, you sat down and went through a couple of different things. Some published, some not. Some will eventually get there. Um, wh- what's something out there that that you've played within the last six months or so that's that's not one you're working on that you went, damn, that's cool. I really wish I'd done that. Um. Well, the game that I'm most looking forward to is Votes for Women. Okay. Right? Coming from Fort Circle. Yep. Um. I really want to see we've talked about war games your war game yep. podcast we've talked about war games i want to see more historical games right not mm-hmm. necessarily war games um so stuff that is coming out of the you know groups like the zenobia awards right um the sd hiscon folks are heavily involved with um just more serious treatments of historical stuff that's not necessarily war games and so uh you know that's kevin's group you talked about um catastrophe right they've done yep. i think they're going to do some interesting things stuff i just got stonewall uprising i think that it looks really interesting so um i you know i played i played votes for women with kevin bertram when he was at origins and i really enjoyed the play but just more importantly like the, the direction that some of the publishers are going, I think is really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we're starting to see a lot of war game ish mechanics find their way into non war games. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Root. it's still accurate to call them conflict simulations. <laughs> like it's still a conflict that just doesn't involve bullets flying around. Sure. Root. 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 Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the Holland Spiel's got the vote. Uh, every time you turn around, Amabel's spitting out some other non-war game war game. Yep. <laughs> yep. No, she's amazing. Yeah, I love Holland Spiel. Yeah, yeah. So, they, they do, yeah. They can get away with some really cool stuff, right? Because they their model, right? Yeah. Allows that, so. We had Tim on the podcast last week. We did talk about Stonewall Uprising some and sort of where that came from. Um, the, to, to me, one of the greatest things about Stonewall Uprising, this sounds nuts, but it's a Kickstarter that delivered early. Like I know. The, the dude I know. in November and he was done shipping in October. That's great. Like, I know. Like, and the exact same thing was true of, um, of, um, Judean hammer, right. Yes. Which I love Judean hammer. And, and it, it was like, I backed it. If, I, I mean, I'm exaggerating obviously, but I felt like I backed it one day and it arrived in the mail the next week or something. I was like, Oh, okay, here we go. Yeah. This is how to do it. People get blue Panther to print your game. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, up until this point, uh, up up until uh, Stonewall Uprising, I think I'd had one other uh, Kickstarter that that delivered legitimately early, and it was like two or three months early. And I, yeah, it, it might have been Raiders of the North Sea, it might have been Villages of Valeria. I'm too lazy to go look it up. Like I'm sitting in front of a computer, and I'm too lazy to go to the Kickstarter site and look it up. But there was there was one that that I legitimately had deliver like two and a half, three months early. It showed up. I'm like, what the hell? Where'd this come from? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, I was backing it. I was just surprised it got there that early. Yeah, it was some it was some crazy uh coincidence that Lanzareth Ridge and Resist both fulfilled basically on time for the US. Huge caveat for the US, because I think there's some issues with Lanzareth Ridge and some of the some of the locations. But um they both fulfilled basically on time within like about a week of each other. And I just remember getting them both in the mail myself and I was like, this is un this is unheard of. Right. Yeah. yeah it's, it's just, yeah. and yeah, usually you're getting something in the mail like that when that you bought Kickstarter and it's like two years later and you're like, exactly. what, when it, what is this? When, I didn't when remember this. this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually and, got a notification today. I ordered, and Brant can relate to this. It was, and I, I really honestly kind of vaguely don't even remember doing this, but I ordered, it was one of those things where they 3D print a bunch of miniatures. And I've always wanted to get in on one of those. And I did. And I completely forgot about it. I get this email today that, oh, we're getting close to shipping these. I'm like, well, I'm getting this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Where am I going to put all these? <laughs> yeah, I, I've, 
I've thus far stayed away from most of the minis and, and, you know, look, writing Tuesday Newsday as, as the primary contributor there, like I'm, I'm checking a ton of different sites every week following, you know, what's going on. And one of the things I do is I've got a couple of, of searches, stored searches for Kickstarter that I go hit. And unfortunately these days, like if you go hit war game as the keyword in the games project on Kickstarter, 90% of what you're finding are STL files mm. for, for, People just trying to make a, you know, make a couple of bucks off the STL files they sold because the barrier to entry is so ridiculously low. Like you, you make 20 bucks. Great. You made 20 bucks. Like you've made your money back for, for the amount of work you put into it. Um, It's getting harder and harder to find good tabletop games on Kickstarter because so many things are buried under the .stl files. And unfortunately, Kickstarter's search functions suck that you can't screen those things out. It would be nice if you could, um, but, but unfortunately you can't. I think over the last year and a half, everybody's been hit by the double whammy of Kickstarters tend to deliver a little later than usual anyway, just because unless it's a company that's used to doing a lot of them or they do them in a particular fashion, like Compass Games always throws things on Kickstarter, like after they're already on the boat and on the way to the warehouse, just to gin up some last minute pre-orders, like, you know, those are coming relatively on time. Smaller companies, younger companies, they still haven't got their production estimates good enough that even in a perfect world stuff shows up late you add the current global shipping shenanigans on top of that and you know david like you said stuff gets stuck on a dock somewhere for a year yeah you know? yep absolutely it so somebody should design a solo war game of just getting kickstarters delivered <laughs> <laughs> right it's it's the adjunct to the old file 13 game from dragon magazine right file 13 was getting your game designed and through the publisher but then they need the sequel to that that is getting it through production and actually delivered to people that's that's the board game somebody needs to make yeah, you could absolutely. do it it's a tower defense game right because you have all these cargo ships coming into all the ports and you gotta you know there's overwhelming you and how do you get the cargo in and <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, that's sort of tragic comic laughter from the three of us here. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> so true. <laughs> it, it's that it's that thing that at first sounds kind of funny, but then you think about it, it's not really all that funny, and you just kind of feel bad for laughing. As as we start to wind down this episode of mentioning dispatches here, um, Mike, get, give us some grand one over the world thought on solo wargaming as we've hopscotched around the topic in different facets tonight. Well, so there you go. The thing I'm going to say is that we've, we've, and I thought this was going to happen when you said we're going to do a solo wargaming podcast. We just barely scratched the surface. I mean, right. We really didn't, oh, like I said, we really didn't even get to the definition of what we're going to talk about. And I went back and looked and maybe, I don't know if, if uh, Gary's listening to this or not, I guess probably not, it doesn't matter. But I went back and looked at the Charles S. Roberts Awards, um, the ballot from 2021, just out of curiosity. And there, there's a best solitaire slash cooperative board war game category. Well, right. already, you're, you're already, that's meaningless to me. Solitaire gaming is not the same as cooperative gaming. It's not. And if you look at the, the, the ballot, it says war game designed to be played by one or more players in cooperative or with a dedicated solitaire experience. So already that's messed up. So e- even they can't get the definition down. So I'm just going to leave you with that thought. <laughs> well, now you know who to complain to. Um, specifically. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> that's you, true. You want to get that cleaned up a little bit there. You know who to who to specifically contact and gripe about. Well, so. what I'll do is I'll get I'll call Wayne first and we'll show up at his house. Right. 
We'll have uh, Wayne. Yeah. Wayne. Wayne will wear his work uniform and we'll show up at Gary's house. Good, good luck finding it now that <laughs> Gary's out in the middle of flipping nowhere. Oh, we can find him. Probably. <laughs> David, again, we've we've covered a lot of ground, which was totally to be expected. We didn't want to be overly prescriptive and narrow in our focus of tonight's discussion. We just wanted to let it go where it went. Um, yeah. we'll kind of wrap us up. We'll give you kind of the final word on this. Wrap us up on uh, on this discussion of solo wargaming. Well, you know, we 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 kind of already talked about this, but I'll, I'll just say that it's, it's a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And all of those are legit things, right? Yeah. Whether it's, I want to play a solitaire specific game. I want to play a game two handed. Um, I want to play with my kids co-op. All of those things are legitimate and thank, God, we have whatever we want, you know, in terms of there's just an embarrassment of riches right now, whatever direction you want to go. Yeah. So I, I think that the while the rest of the hobby was catching up in the last five, six, seven, whatever years, the war game hobby has always been solitaire friendly, I would say. Right. Even if it was playing um, two handed. So I, I think it's just we're just at a, a, a great place right now for for t- in terms of as a player, as a designer, you know, there's a, a huge community. And, and and what's one one thing I'll put it in perspective is if I go to, to Dan at DVG and say, have I have a game idea um, it it better like it's it can play two player that's not important it needs to be able to play one right that's the most important now they've kind of established themselselves as one of the leaders in solitaire gaming that's their shtick <laughs> right that's their shtick but i mean it's 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 pretty awesome that that can be a shtick right for a publisher at this yeah point. yeah yeah no, absolutely i one of these days maybe next season mike remind me for next season we need to do a podcast on all of the things that the war gamers led the rest of the tabletop game industry on <laughs> and that we were years if not decades ahead of everyone else um I, gmt was doing p500s when the kickstarter founders were in middle school you know i mean it's <laughs> crowdfunding's been around a while campaign games have been around a while right i mean this is these are things that the wargamers have been doing for a long damn time common rule sets across multiple series games that's stuff the wargamers been doing for a long damn time and it took everybody else forever to catch up with so we we need to do an episode on just just us griping about how little respect war games get um <laughs> so um audience thank you very much for joining us so we we are winding down season nine of mentioned and dispatch and we got a couple episodes uh yet to come we're, we're still going to talk accessories and doodads one of these weekends and then uh and, and let you in on much like our conversation about dice right we're not going to be talking about the games we're going to be talking about all the cool shit that goes with the games. And, uh, and and we will easily get an hour and a half out of that. Uh, we we are working on trying to get our boy Gary Ardwolf to show up and talk about this year's CSRs and his vision for some of the future going on. Um, get, Gary has said he would love to do it. And we're just trying to figure out the scheduling to, to find a time when we can all chisel some space free to do that. And, and we always wrap up the fall season or we, we, you know, We've done it the last year or two and going to keep it going with sort of our holiday wishes for the wargaming world. We're going to do that as we start to wind down here and take a break for the holidays uh, before we come back after our uh, ACDC in the spring. And speaking of, just a very quick plug, MLK weekend, middle of January of 2023, will be our next digital convention. That's our next ACDC. And and so we hope you get a chance to spend a weekend playing war games with us in your underwear, right? Because you can do it from home, sitting at the computer. Those of you going to, to Baltimore to go join uh, the MMP guys for their house convention, have fun doing it. 
Anybody that's not trying to get to Baltimore in January, stay home, log on with us, and join us for the uh, the January ACDC. Uh, David, thank you very much for taking the time. I know we've had to reschedule a little bit here, but I'm, I'm glad we were able to make this work, and uh, appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been awesome, And, uh, and Mike, yeah, we'll get you again sometime. Like, <laughs> There you go. We know where to find you. Um, And audience, thank you very much for joining us. We'll catch you next time on another episode of Mentioning Dispatches.